We are beginning a series of teachings this summer called A Summer of Walking. Sounds really thrilling. I know. Some of you would rather run um, because you're sick in your head. No, let's just be, let's be honest. Running is definitely cooler. Um, I mean, you look like you're um, more in shape, maybe, if you're a runner. Um, some of you, I had a conversation with somebody last night about um, my, my goal in life is to never run a marathon. Now, and here's the thing with that. I mean, some people, they'll ask me, they'll say, hey, Ryan, don't you just want to say that you ran a marathon? And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, like, I want to be like 85 and just bragging that I didn't fall into that trap that some fall into of running long distances, right? And, and then my, one of my favorite bumper stickers of all time is the 0.0 bumper sticker. Have you seen it? It's the, it's the anti-marathon running bumper sticker. And then there's the 13.1 one, which is just quitters. Um, now that some of you are mad at me, I just want to take us forward. We're going to talk about walking. And the reason why we're going to talk about walking is because it is one of the major themes in Scripture. Walking. It's a metaphor of what God does with us. It is literally a part of 75% of Jesus' teachings. It has everything to do with just life. Just regular, old, ordinary life. And I think for me, um, a lot of this, there's a couple different things that come about when you hear um, teaching from up here. Some of the times it's just like, I feel like you guys and us need to hear something, right? This one is really kind of, um, this has been a really a, a theme that's been a part of my journey for the last few years, um, especially the last year. And um, the earliest Christians, the earliest followers of Jesus, they identified as the way. They didn't identify as the arrived, <laughs> or the destination. They identified as the way. Jesus would say over and over again, follow me along the way, the road. And a lot of times I think a lot of Christians act like they have arrived or they have figured things out. At least the, the um, impression you get from folks sometimes is, I've got it figured out, I got my life all together, I know certain things, and they're just kind of coasting through. And I just really don't think that that's what the life Jesus has on offer for us is all about. I once heard that the most important difference between people is between those who think that life is a quest, like an adventure, and those that think it's not. And you can kind of tell. In fact, the word to walk in Hebrew means to live. It means life. And to, there's just other different um, 
I guess, meanings that come around it. I'm going to throw it on the screen here. It says, yeah, to progress, uh, to regulate one's life. Sorry, we're flipping them around. To conduct oneself, to pass one's life. It's not just something that gets us somewhere. It's life. And the theme of walking is all throughout Scripture. It's connected to themes of wandering. We just sang prone to wander, right? It's connected to themes of faith and exile and the desert. It's connected to solitude and prayer and other themes all about walking. And so here's my hope for us, uh, these conversations this summer. My hope is that for some of you, it's like a deep breath, that it's not, um, and maybe your tradition in church has been about things you have to do and things you have to know and behaviors you have to fix. But my hope is this summer you can actually just take a deep breath and, and, and be okay with a three-mile-an-hour pace. And then some of you need that. You like genuinely got your 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 world is such that you are flying. And to be able to just take a deep breath and do a slower pace, you, you don't know how that's gonna happen. And my hope is is that we get to a point um, with the reflection we're gonna ask you to do and with some of the things that are gonna be happening this summer that you can experience a walking pace with God. There's a quote I want to throw up on the screen uh, from a guy named Barry Harvey, and he says this, it seems clear that the Bible provides nothing like a map that charts the precise path for us to follow into the future. What it does give us is a travel itinerary of God's people. That is the story of their pilgrimage as strangers and foreigners throughout this world towards the kingdom of God. All throughout scripture, God is a walker. God walks in the garden. God walks with Enoch and God walks with Abraham and God walks. And the people of God walk from exodus to exile. It's just a lot of walking. There's wandering in the desert. Jesus was a walker. He walked by the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to throw a few verses up here. We're doing a little skip through Scripture. So if you, today's not going to be a text we're going to dive into. This is kind of more of an overview of where we're headed. Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee. He walked by Matthew at his tax collector booth. He had proximity with tax collectors. He, he walked on water. And he walks among the churches in the end of Scripture. There's this beautiful part where John talks about in, in, in John's book, uh, Revelation, that Jesus walks among the churches. And we see that Jesus is most often walking with his disciples. And then if you were really to look at the terrain around all the places that Jesus walked, it's pretty intense. And it's fascinating to consider that Jesus most of the time taught while he walked. 
That's why he's, the word is peripateo, which is the, the Greek word for walk. And that's why people, uh, scholars call Jesus a peripatetic teacher. So he walked while he talked. And he taught while he walked. And everywhere they went, there was a lesson. There was something to engage with. Most of Jesus' teachings were not, you know, in a, an official religious thing. It wasn't like church on Sunday. It was just life. And that's, in, in many ways, what I want you guys to understand and what I want to understand myself is that's what Jesus wants with us, to be with us, walk with us in our lives in real tangible ways. Um, listen, you've heard the physical effects of walking for your own life, uh, that it's good to get out and walk and to, and to do all that kind of stuff. It has a huge uh, effect on your health. Um, I think psychologists would start to, there's some, some really cool stuff happening with um, uh, our, our walking rhythms like our right and left and things like that and what that does in our, in our, psych, in our psyche for like just anxiety and things like that. Um, there are psychologists who are talking about bilateral sounds and bilateral sounds and um, you can listen to bilateral sounds in your ear like with your headphones and, and it goes back and forth and, and it actually does a ton for your anxiety and they're connecting that physically with what it's like to walk that we take intentionality and walk with a cadence. And there's relational effects with walking. I mean, you can walk with a friend and talk and you're both going the same direction. And then when you walk with children, it slows you down and it's frustrating, <laughs> but it's important. I mean, the act of walking changes us. How often do you see, do you literally look at your life as a walk? If you're really honest. If you were to chart your life, obviously in seasons and geography and different, different seasons of hardship and, and, and beauty, how often do you see your life as a walk? I mean, 1 Peter 2.11 says that we are, it says, Paul, and Peter says this, Dear friend, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Most of the time we see that verse, we're like, okay, let's talk about sinful desires in my soul. But think about foreigners and exiles. This idea of people who just don't, they're not stuck and rooted necessarily. They're always going somewhere. They're always moving. And it, as followers of Jesus in the, on this earth, we are Travelers. And so what I want to do this morning is talk about three of the many themes of walking in Scripture. And my hope is just a little touch on three of these that, that maybe you, can, you may have a connection to one or the other, or you have had that connection to one of these themes in your life. You might be going through one of these right now. And at the end, I'm going to ask a series of questions and reflective questions to you. And I'm going to ask you to do some homework, too. So here we go. First theme is walking in the ordinary. Man, life can be just ordinary, right? Just kind of like mundane, kind of boring. You know, when you read the pages of Scripture, 
Uh, a lot of times what we don't realize is how much life happens in between the pages. I mean, there's an account that happens, and then the next account that happens might be 30 years later, might be months later. There's just a lot of ordinary. And I'm going to show you one of the most ordinary verses of anything, Genesis 5, 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. That's like the most boring sermon ever right there. And some of you are like, he lived 365, like what? I don't know. That's a long time. Um, and I bet he never ran a marathon. Booyah. Um, <laughs> don't shake your head at me, Sarah. Um, some of you are hung up on the part of the 65 years, had a kid part in maybe 365 years of living. But the most important part of this passage is something that's mentioned twice. Whenever Hebrew scripture mentions it twice, it means it's important. It means it's very important. Enoch walked faithfully with God. It's mentioned twice. Now here's the thing. So a lot of times that kind of stuff doesn't catch our attention. But nothing crazy happens in this story. There's no miracles other than maybe 365 years of life, right? He just walked with God. And a lot of times we read this and we're like, that's not exciting. And you and I, to be honest, we live in an age where everything has to be exciting all the time. Everything has to be, we have to go from one exciting experience to another one. One great meal to another one. One great interaction to another one. One entertainment to another one. And that's just not the speed at which God moves. God's a three-mile-an-hour kind of God. He just walks with us. And sometimes we grow best when we're stuck, too. When we're stuck in an ordinary rhythm. When we're stuck in an ordinary time of life. Um, Arthur Brooks wrote a book that I read last year on sabbatical. And he's a, uh, he's a great writer. It's not a Christian book. It's called From Strength to Strength. And I've shared it uh, with a number of people before. But he wrote this one line in it that grabbed my attention last summer. He wrote a lot of lines that grabbed my attention. But um, he wrote, your satisfaction is what you have divided by what you want. Your satisfaction is what you have divided by what you want. Meaning you become less satisfied in life the more you want. The more you yearn for that next experience, the more you yearn for that extraordinary thing. And yet God walks with us in the ordinary. And this isn't even in my notes. I just want to ask you guys this. And this this might be revealing for some of you in the room. Do you think, do you think God actually enjoys you? That's a weird question, I know. Do you think 
that God, the creator of everything, enjoys you, wants to be with you, wants to know you, wants to delight in you? And if, if you have a hard time answering that question, um, there's something there. There's something blocking that. Because I believe throughout the pages of Scripture, God wants to deeply know us. And we might think, we're, we're very ordinary. God doesn't really want to know me. God doesn't want to know me unless I'm a missionary somewhere crazy. God doesn't want to know me unless I do this and do that and, and behave this way and behave that way. No, God really wants to know you. God is so fascinated by his creation in you. And, and I think we can train ourselves to be more attuned to God's presence in a very ordinary way. Second theme of walking in Scripture is walking in the desert. It's all throughout Scripture. I mean, it's literally all throughout it. And a lot of times we, we think to ourselves, uh, I feel like I'm in a really dry place. I just need to get through it. And we seek ways to get out of it. Um, and the reality is, is if you're wandering in the desert, if you feel like you're wandering in the desert, uh, according to scripture, you are right on track. <laughs> you are right where you're supposed to be for transformation to happen. Um, being in the desert doesn't mean God has deserted you. Wandering and following Jesus go hand in hand for us. And that's part of this whole thing. Because if you wander, it's not a question of if you wander, it's when. When you wander. And it's also a question of how you wander. So all of Scripture, whatever you're looking at, there's, there's a couple main pieces of this that I want to highlight. One of them is the Exodus, and the other is Jesus. Uh, the theme of being rescued into the desert is all throughout. And this idea of, of a scary place, of, of a place where uh, things don't feel great, everything's not uh, working out perfectly, um, there's just like always a need, it seems like that is the desert. And it comes to represent a, a place not only in our minds, uh, but where the, actually the people of God actually experience God. And the fact that God, God saves his people into the desert is, and not immediately into the promised land is a huge metaphor for us. Because there's this sense in which God releases the people from Egypt um, and in like a minute and a half later, they're like, can we go back? The food was better there. We had this, we had that. Yes, we were in slavery. Yes, there was hard work. But the point is, is that that still, I would still take that versus the desert. And every story I hear, and one of the great joys of being a pastor is that I get to hear people's stories a lot. I have the time to make that happen. And one of the things that I hear all the time is there's this same kind of theme of of kind of a bumpy circle that people's lives take. 
right? And a lot of times people think that, that, that following Jesus is like a point A to point B thing. And it is not. A point A to point B with huge circles of like re-going re over some of the same place before. Um, a real road to maturity is actually miserably slow. Miserably slow. And a lot of times we don't like that because everything around us looks like it's achieving something and things are getting fixed and achieved and, and, and solved. And then there's our personal lives, right? That are just, why is it still so slow? Why am I still struggling here? Why am I still doubting? Why am I still frustrated? Why, why do I feel like I'm not making any progress? But God's people have never, in scripture, never traveled a straight line. Never. And there's this extreme notion that runs counter to the story um, that we tell ourselves sometimes about Jesus' healing in us. And we imagine that salvation and healing is being freed into these beautiful, lush, green, wonderful places in life. And that's just not the story we have in Scripture. And there's no principles and three steps to get there. Salvation shouldn't be interpreted as this thing where God just improves on your old life. Okay? And, and that's just not what God's up to. God, salvation isn't God tinkering with your old life. It's God giving us a completely new life that is totally uh, hard to imagine, and it invites us into new spaces and new places. Completely new spaces and new places. That's part of the foreigners and exiles language. God doesn't save his people directly into the promised land. He takes them along a winding, twisting, looping, bumpy path. That's part of this journey. That's part of this walking. And the true path to freedom is never straight. It's just and it's, it's not only what scripture tells me, it's what my experience tells me. It's what my, the, my conversations with many of you tell me. It's not straight. It usually goes through a very windy and dry place. And for some of you in the room, you're probably like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. And of course, I'm obliged to remind you that if you feel like you're in a dry place, you're going through a dry season in your life, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. In fact, it can be a really great thing. And a lot of times people feel shame about that. Like, oh, I just need to do this and do that and try to you know, pull the wheel hard to the right to pull myself out of this rut. Now, this is part of the journey. In fact, there's this great part in, in Galatians. Um, I think it's chapter three, no, one. And it's Paul telling his story about his conversion experience. And after Paul's conversion experience to Jesus, which was radical, and we talked about that at the beginning of the Roman series, he goes immediately into the desert for three years. And a lot of times we think to ourselves, oh, Paul just like he had this conversion experience and then all of a sudden he was just like planting churches and doing all this cool stuff. No, he was actually off the radar for a long time. 
It says this in Galatians 1. It says, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. I think it's just really remarkable to think about. And some of you are like, but I want to do really important things and I want to to, uh, make important faith steps in my life and all these things. Well, maybe God's got something else going on right now for you. Paul's conversion was followed by a desert experience. Jesus um, gets baptized. Everybody's like, whoa, that's awesome. And then he goes into the desert for 40 days. And dryness, is, as it were, is, is not always something to be defeated in Scripture. Rather, sometimes it's a sign of God's inbreaking freedom, that God is actually doing something really, really powerful. And the third theme, and this is the last one for the day, is this idea of walking and resurrection. And I think it's pretty telling that the psalmist in Psalm 23 never confesses that he walked around the valley of the shadow of death. (laughs) He didn't bypass the shadow of death. That the psalmist talks about walking through it. And... um, One of the books that I've been lingering in is a book by a guy named A.J. Swoboda called The Dusty Ones. And he has this conversation with his son about the resurrection one day. And it's just, you can imagine um, just sitting with a little kid. And this is why I think working with kids is so great. It like pulls so much more meaning out of who Jesus is. But AJ Swoboda is having a conversation at breakfast with his son about the resurrection. And his son goes, dad, did Jesus just go out the back door of the tomb? And uh, no, he, he went back through the door he came in. And then as AJ is like thinking about that and the meaning of that, it's just, it's actually kind of a powerful thought. That Jesus, what, what resurrection means is walking back through death, walking back through the door of the tomb. And I think for some of us, we avoid this any chance we can. Christianity, following Jesus, is not a death and pain denying religion. It's actually the opposite. Christianity does not invite us to walk around death or avoid pain. It actually asks us to confront it because by confronting it and walking through it, we actually get to experience resurrection. Like, like right now. It's not a one-day thing. It's actually resurrection life that's on offer for us right now. Because if you're in denial about death, if you always try to keep pain and death far from you, you can't really fully experience resurrection. 
And we don't walk around death, we enter it with Jesus. And we walk through it with him. Jesus goes back to the places, back through the places that hurt him dearly. He revisits painful stuff. And this principle is this idea of going back through. And the walk of becoming like Jesus does not get you out of going through death. Uh, that walking back through death, and, and this might mean painful memories in your life. This might mean um, walking through very difficult things that you don't want to struggle with or suffer with. It, it might mean to be brutally honest with some of the pain that's in your life and that, that so much of your behavior has been avoiding it or sidestepping it or closing your eyes to it, or ignoring it, or numbing to keep yourself from thinking about it. But seeing reality is part of resurrection. Going back through these painful things is part of what it looks like to follow Jesus. We get to go back through the death parts to experience life on the other side. That means revisiting painful memories, things that we've inflicted on others, or people have inflicted on us. Uh, one of the things I wish is that our church was more like a 12-step group. I really do. I think there's just a sense of honesty. And there, there might be some ways for us to kind of, there's, like in any church culture, any organizational culture, there is a culture that is hard to break. A 12-step program, a 12-step culture has a culture built into it, just embedded into it of honesty, of vulnerability, of story. And part of the 12-step work is making amends. And a lot of that work means you go back through the ways you've hurt people the ways you've let people down, the way your addiction has harmed your family and your friends. It's actually part of resurrection. And those who rejected, uh, there's, there's people who have rejected us in life. There's people who have hurt us. There's people who have experienced loss and disappointment and discouragement. And there's things that we've done to others in that regard too. And we just... We just have this sense of like, I just need to pretend that it didn't happen. I just, that's in my past. And then here's the other, here's the other thing that happens in Christian worlds is we say, okay, um, I follow Jesus now. He's forgiven me. But all the stuff I did in my past has been forgiven. Um, and I don't have to do anything with that anymore. No, there's actually real work still beautiful work that you can do in going back and, 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 and working on making amends for that. See, the resurrection isn't the sand we put our heads in. It actually wakes us up to the pain of the world, wakes us up to the pain we've inflicted, and there's part of our beautiful transformation that happens when we walk back through that. I'm not saying dwell on all your stuff. I'm just saying there's, there, you know what I'm saying here in the sense of you, there's things you can clean up potentially in your life. 
that could be really beautiful and meaningful to your family, to your friends, to your parents, to whatever. The Holy Spirit does not lead us away from the truth of pain we have caused others, but actually leads us towards reconciliation. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We are a people who are called to be reconcilers. Um, the Holy Spirit leads us to it and through it. Um, in walking with the Holy Spirit, we'll, we're called to reconcile, to be the, to our best of our ability with people. Um, and it's often that terrain of pain and suffering um, that we find our closeness with God, that we actually find deeper levels of grace and God's love for us than we would have ever experienced before if we just pretended it didn't happen. The Bible doesn't offer us just musings on life, okay? It's not a book of principles and wonderful thoughts. It points us to life itself through a whole bunch of really messy people. And it's in a time where most of us have bought into a lie that the key to, a Christian, to, to Christian formation is more information I'm just saying, for some of us in the room, the last thing you and I need is data, more information. Some of us, we just need, we need sponsors and Sherpas. <laughs> That's who we need. Some of you in this room need to walk across the room and go, I think you've been following Jesus for a while. Have you ever dealt with this? Oh, I see you've been a parent for a while. Do you have any regrets and hurts? Right? If all of the Bible is the inspired word of God for us, we can't, we have to expect to go through what the ancients went through. And it's written by, somebody once wrote, the Bible, the scriptures are written by wanderers for wanderers. And so today, this is the, the final part. I just want to throw up a couple things. I want to ask you a few things. I just want you to plot yourself. I may be one of these three places, right? Just life's ordinary right now and boring. Maybe you feel like you're in a real desert part of your life. And maybe there's some places where you need to experience walking back through death and experiencing resurrection. Are you just frenzied? Are you just frantic life? Does life feel like it's 80 miles an hour, not three? Are you feeling a sense of dryness or lostness? Have you avoided going back through hard things? And then I want to throw one other little bit up here. Go for a walk. <laughs> like in the next, I, I, studies say that you hear something and it, and it starts to maybe rattle a few things in you and you don't do anything about it within 36 hours, it's gone. Beautiful day, everybody. Go for a walk. Go for a walk. I would say you go for a walk with your family too. That's great. But try to do some, a little bit of alone work. What happens in your mind? What do you notice coming up in your mind as you walk by yourself? Are there fears? 
Are there longings? Are there frustrations? Are there conversations that you're having with other people that are not resolved? Are there, are there some past hurts that are coming up? What comes up in you? And let that be a place where God meets you at three miles an hour. Let me pray. God, we're starting this journey and it's... Um, I have so much hope and expectancy for myself and for this community that we would reach the end of this summer and look back on the, on the road you walked with us. And for all of us, it's just, it's going to be different. It's going to feel different. It's going to have some different uh, flavors to it because you've created us so unique. And you've called us to certain situations. And our lives have, um, have grown and moved and been shaped by our experiences, by hurt and trauma and, and celebration and achievement. And we all have different stories in this room. But you want to do something. You want to do something in us. And so, God, I want to pray this prayer that I read the other day over our church, over our journey. Oh, God, let something essential happen to us, something awesome, something real. God, speak to our condition. And change us somewhere really, really deep inside where it matters. Let something happen to us Let something meaningful, deep and essential happen to us. We pray. Amen.